All right, I've got Ava with me right now and I have a quick question I wanna ask her. Ava, can you tell me what makes someone smart? Uh, going to school for all of your life. Yeah, going to school for all your life. That would definitely make you smart. You'd learn a lot. <laughs> That's a great answer. Thank you so much. Let's sit down and talk about your story. I'll show you that you're far from boring. Life's a whole lot better when you share with someone that cares. This is Happy Talks. Hey, you guys. Welcome to Happy Talks. This is Aaron. And this is Elijah. And Elijah is my pastor. And I'm so excited for you guys to hear about his story and what he's going to talk about. Who knows what we have in store, but I'm pumped. So Elijah, take it away. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Aaron. I'm excited <laughs> about it. And it's been fun to see all the different people you've had on. Yeah. Checking out your podcast. Oh, have you listened to it? Yeah. So not, not every week. I'm really bad at keeping up with podcasts. <laughs> it, it stresses me out a little bit to have to keep up with one every week. You know, every week or every it's other okay. week, but um, I do. I keep up, especially because I know some of the people who've been on. So yeah. that's always fun to get to hear <laughs> Pretty that. Pretty much all of them, right? I think so. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anyone I haven't known yet. I mean, I I've, everyone has been from Foundry, and then my so, sister, and you know. So her, hopefully, so. hopefully, I know everybody from my own church. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, so this is, this is fun to be on, though. So I'm gonna I'm gonna just share a little bit about my life, I guess. And mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting. I, I've, I've seen people. I've seen like. Instagram famous celebrities writing their like personal biographies when they're 25 years old, you know, and I think, wow, those are idiots. And then here I am at 28 years old giving my personal biography. Oh my gosh. But at least it's not your idea. Yes, it's not my idea. And I'm, I don't think I'm making money off this unless no. there's some contract I don't know about yet. I'm not making money off of it either. Oh, so. man. Okay. Well, if, if this ever blows up and goes big, I want my cut though. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. So I was, I was born uh, into a, a Christian family, which I think is... I don't know how long common that is these days, but if, you know, at least down here in the South, I think most people grow up in a, mm -hmm. a Christian family at some level. Um, but mine was a little different because my dad was a seminary professor, mm -hmm. and then my mom was a, a kids minister at our church, and so it was like a very Christian family. It wasn't just like a we go to church together. It was like, yeah. no, like we, that we lived and breathed that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that that like if I look back at the most formative influence in my life to this point, even though I'm pretty far into my twenties at this point, it's I still got to look back at the family. I grew up in, right? In like those, mm -hmm. those formative years. Yeah. Um, so growing up there. So I grew up, I have five siblings. Mm -hmm. So there's six of us total. You know, of course those came, I'm the third oldest. So I've got two older brothers and then a younger sister, two younger brothers. And so I think growing up in a big family, that's incredibly formative as well. Um, and, and what was really great about growing up in that kind of family is that our faith wasn't just something we believed, like mm -hmm. an intellectual knowledge or a Sunday thing. Yeah. Very, it was very much lived out. So I saw it in my mm -hmm. parents' lives. Uh, we like I would minister as a family together. So we would yeah. go to like the the nursing home and you know sing sing hymns there, and then we'd go and visit and pray with the residents there. We'd go out to the abortion clinic and mm -hmm. just pray out there and try to gently speak to the ladies going in. Yeah. And speak with them about how we could help them or how others could help them. And so I, that that right there was a huge uh, benefit and influence as a young person just getting to experience that. Um, I'd say one of the first 
so one of the first big steps in my spiritual journey happened at a very young age. This is this is true a lot of the time. I don't know, Aaron, how, how old were you when you became a Christian? Were you very young or was it? Yes, yeah, I yeah. was like four. Yeah, four. That's okay, what so, my mom says. Yeah, is what my mom says. That's what a lot of people are like. It's like three to five or like three to seven, I feel like, is where like a lot of people make a first decision. So I was five years old. What happened is my dad was speaking at a, a family camp up in Wisconsin, I believe. It was called Camp Sky Lodge. So we were up at Camp Sky Lodge. I was five years old. And I remember being in the kids' area. And they were like, hey, like, who here's a Christian? And a bunch of people raised their hands. And my oldest brother raised his hand, Caleb. And I was like, well, I don't know what that means, but I'm not. And they said, well, like, something like, and this seems so manipulative, but I don't, maybe it wasn't. <laughs> then how I remember it, and again, this is like five-year-old memory. But they're like, hey, if you become a Christian, you get one of these, like, little football card kind of things. <laughs> but it was like a Christian thing. It had, yeah. like, Christian stats or something on the back. And I was like, well, I want one of those. And my oldest brother was getting one of those. So I think I repeated whatever prayer they said, which is not what I look at as my conversion. Um, that was, like, my my first step. I yeah. the first step. So, so I got my football card or whatever it was because of that. And I don't know how many other kids prayed the prayer to get their football card. But it was after that, like I think the next week or two after that, it was June of 1990, uh, June of 1998. Um, I was talking to my mom. I literally remember it. I remember where I was sitting at the table and I brought this up or it came up somehow. And we were talking about it. And she said, well, do you understand that you have sinned and that like you you have you've gone against what God has said. I knew that. I was a little I was a little punk kid. So so I knew that I had sinned. I got spanked more than any other sibling. And so I got that much. So I knew I'd sinned. So I said, Yeah, I, you know, I, I get I understood that. You need, you need someone to save you from your sin. She explained that Jesus came and died for me and said, Would you like to put your trust in him to get forgiveness from your sin? The very basic gospel message, right? But true gospel right. message. I said, Yeah. So I remember in that moment, like sitting there, we had chips and salsa between us. And I prayed, I prayed that prayer mm-hmm. and became a Christian. Now I had a very simplistic understanding, mm-hmm. but it was, it was enough understanding. I really think toward that was a genuine conversion. And so that was, that was the first big step. When I was, when I was seven, uh, my dad planted a church. Mm-hmm. So Day Spring Community Church, the church that, that we're part of now, Foundry, actually was, came out of that as our mother church. Yeah. And so I got to be part of that at seven, which I think was another big step of really getting to to be connected and involved with like the body of Christ with a church in a really healthy way. So growing up, I always had good church experiences. I know a lot of people had some bad church experiences <laughs> along the way, sometimes like debilitating church experiences, yeah. but I always had great ones. And so getting to be part of that was awesome. Um, and it kind of brings me to, I think, this kind of big principle of my life that, that growing up in the family I grew up gave me, because it gave me faith, but probably just as important as faith. It gave me, and I've struggled to know how to, how to explain this. Um, it gave me a sense of agency. Mm-hmm. So you understand what I mean when I say that? Like, like that I can change the world around me. Uh, gotcha. um, so like an agency is not like, like I can be an active agent in the world around me. And it's not just the world happens to me, mm-hmm. but I can happen to the world, like in a very <laughs> empowering way. And I think a lot of people have this, even as adults, have this sense of like the world's going to do what it does to me and I've just got to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I grew up with almost the opposite of like, no, even from the age of like seven, I I can change the world around me. Yeah. So an example of this is in my family, whenever we would, and I've told this story at church before, so anyone listening from Foundry will know it, but before we would go out to, to like a, a camp we'd be at, or we'd go out like Boy Scout camp, or we'd go out to do a sleepover at somebody's house, my dad would pull us aside and he would say to those of us who were going, hey, where you're going, there's going to be some guys or some kids doing stuff they shouldn't be doing, and they may try to get you to, to do it as well, but you know what's right. And so I want you to do the right thing because freedomans are leaders. Hmm. It very much is since like, yeah, you're a leader. Now, now that was ridiculous because we were like seven, right? Like what <laughs> six-year-old is a leader? But we were empowered to make a difference in our world. Yeah. And so I very much grew up with this sense not only that 
I can change the world around me, but that I should change the world around hmm. me. So this is weird. You're going to get into some weird stuff about my family? Yeah. Okay. So this, <laughs> this is one of those weird things. That I didn't realize how weird it was until I got a little bit older. But we would we would have like family dinner around the table. We'd pray every time. We'd like recite some scripture and pray and sing a hymn and all that, which is already kind of weird. That's like Amish <laughs> stuff, right? So we do that. And then when we'd pray, and my dad would finish up the prayer by saying, Lord, if you need somebody to go bleed and die for the gospel of Jesus around the world, let it be one of these kids sitting around this table. Hmm. And they say, we love you with all of our, and all of us would say hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our mights, and amen. And then we go eat our food. <laughs> and so as a kid, like you're having this prayer prayed over you that you be martyred for the faith. Hmm. And you don't think anything of it because it's normal. Yeah. And so that really, like that again, that has this profound sense of I can change the world and I must change the world. Like this hmm. sense of God has divinely appointed, not in some weird like savior messianic way, but God has divinely appointed me to be part of what he wants to do in this world. Yeah. Uh, so, so that really had a big, so, so, so that I feel like as a kid formed me in significant ways. Hmm. Um, and so as I went on, you know, I kind of entered this period of, early adolescence, 12, 13. And that's when I started to differentiate my faith from my parents. Because you go through this maturing process in life. And a lot of people who became Christians when we did, right, four or five, six or seven, you have to hit this point where you have to own it for yourself. Mm -hmm. And that started happening for me around 12, 13, probably, Mm -hmm. where I had to decide, hey, am I going to, you know, is this what I'm going to keep doing and believing and affirming and living out? And I said, yeah, it it was, it was. Mm -hmm. And that was also the time when I started thinking more seriously about my future, right? Like, as I entered my teenage years, you start thinking about the question, like, oh, what do I want to do in college? What do I want to do after college? Right. What, you know, what do I want my life to be about? Uh, and up until that point, I don't know. People have asked me before as a kid, what do you, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I'm not, I'm not even sure what I would have said. Like, probably military, you know, because we love military movies. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or maybe, like, I don't know, grow up to be John Wayne. I don't know what it would have been, a firefighter, one of those classic things. Mm-hmm. But as I hit my teenage years, I started really thinking about it. And again, I had this sense of, I can change the world around me, mm-hmm. and I must change the world around me. Mm-hmm. So I started looking and considered different things. I mean, I remember at one point in high, early on in high school, I did a mock trial, big like lawyer competition kind of thing, mm-hmm. and our team placed fifth in the state. And everyone was like, "Oh, you need to be a lawyer," you know. I was like, "I don't want to be a <laughs> lawyer," I don't think. And pretty pretty soon, it became clear that like the Lord was leading me towards some kind of ministry. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a big believer that everybody who's a Christian is a minister. Yeah. I'm 100% affirm that. But there's this certain level at which I think God calls certain people to provide ministry leadership. Right. And so I very much was feeling that. And, and I've had to, like, as I've gone through the process, I've been ordained now, right? So I've had, I had to go through the process of defining my call, which isn't the easiest thing because some people have this moment in a service where they're like, God called me to be a missionary or God mm-hmm. called me to be this. And I've never had that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I have had is, is a number of different experiences that all point me towards the same outcome. There's an author named G.K. Chesterton. Have you heard of him? Mm-hmm. Okay. He's a, he's a great, if anyone listening to this, go look his stuff up. Great Catholic writer from England in like the, the 19th century, I think, or maybe late 19th century. And he, he has this quote where he says, I'm more convinced by something, not if I just hear someone with authority say it or read it in a book, but if I read a poem about it, I hear it in a song, I see it in a painting, I hear about it in a conversation with a friend. He said, the very different ways I experience it point towards this one truth more powerfully than if I just read it in a book. Yeah. And I think very much my call is the same way because there's not, there's not, God didn't give me this one big, hey, go be a pastor. Hmm. But he, he pulled these different things. So he pulled 
uh, my experiences with my family where I, I had a love for him and grew up with a love for him. He pulled my experiences where I, I knew that I could make a difference and serving in a local church at seven years old and being part of a church plant there. And he, he pulled on um, these amazing local church experiences I had. He pulled on a heart to serve him, uh, especially through making disciples and then a desire to preach. And then he, mm-hmm. he gave me gifts, I think, that line up with a local church ministry. And then I think the Holy Spirit took all that, right? He just mixed it up <laughs> and out of it comes this call. Yeah. of hey. So, so at probably 13 or 14 or so, I had this sense of I have a call on my life to serve in what I call vocational ministry. So like full-time ministry. And so I had that strong sense of call. And I thought it might be missions. I thought it might be, you know, the local church. I really didn't know, uh, but I sensed, sensed myself moving in that direction. So that's that's kind of where I was at that point. Um, so we ended up going to college and that's, that's a whole story in itself. God provided an amazing way um, for college. Yeah. It went from, I, I couldn't pay for college because college is so expensive same. and, and yes yeah, everyone listens right now saying yep that's relatable uh went, went from that to suddenly he provided like at three different schools full tuition scholarships wow. it was an amazing thing and that's not something i can point to like, oh yes because i was just a great high school student it's because he just did it like he was very faithful to provide that so we ended up going to this, this great school and this is kind of the, one of the next big um places of the lord challenging me and leading me i think it was, it was my freshman year at Asbury University where I went. Mm-hmm. And this preacher was speaking. We had chapel three times a week because it was a Christian college. So this, this is like one of the first chapels of, of my time at Asbury as well. And he was speaking on Matthew 16 where Jesus said, Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And he said, uh, What if God's plans for you are smaller than your plans for yourself? Ooh. <laughs> yeah, ooh, it's right. Yeah, because here, here's where I was at that point. I, I started sensing the Lord leading me towards planting a church. Mm-hmm. And I was envisioning what this church would be like. And it wasn't going to be a small church, of course. It was going to be a big church. Why? Because I had this sense of agency that I can change the world. I must change the world. I'll do big things. And this this really, this big sense of I want to do big stuff for God. And so I had created, I think God had called me even at that time to plant a church. Mm-hmm. I know he has now, but even at that point, I was pretty sure he had. And so I was heading that direction. Uh, but but I really felt this, felt this sense of it's, it's going to be significant. And then God challenged me through that message. What if my plans for you are smaller than your plans for yourself? Hmm. And it was very much, in some ways, it might have been like, someone said this to me recently, it might be like a Genesis 22, when Abraham's supposed to sacrifice Isaac. Hmm. It's like, how much am I willing to sacrifice? It's not that God's going to always make sure that what I do is insignificant, but what if what if God wants me to be ready for that? Yeah. And so I had to come to that point in that moment. Uh, I just really gave everything over to God and just said, God, my, my life's yours, whatever you want for it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a pivotal moment. I think that moment in some ways is just as pivotal as my decision to follow Jesus at age five. Mm-hmm. Right. Not that I was saved again. I was I was already saved, but it was like I was allowing God to have access to every part of me. In fact, that was one of those last yeah. things I was holding on to. Mm-hmm. And I think whenever we arrive at that point where we give God full control over our lives, is, is when we, we shift, not to like a different level of Christian, not the way like suddenly you've arrived, like you're a level seven Christian now, <laughs> level seven Christians get all the perks. It's not that at all. It's, it's but I, I had shifted in my orientation towards God. There was no more need to guard something from him or to mm-hmm. keep him at an arm's distance in this one part of my life. Suddenly it was like, God, you've got it. Mess around with it, play around with it, minimize it, maximize it, do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Wesley, uh, who's, who's a, he, founded the Methodist movement, great theologian and, and really Christian teacher and, and preacher back in the day. He has this prayer, and it, it, it's called the Wesley Covenant Prayer. And in there has a section that says, put me to what you will, rake me with whom you will, 
put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. In other words, every part of my life, what you want, God. Yeah. And that, that was the moment in my life where I was able to actually, without saying those words, say those words to God yeah. and, and give him access. So then did college, went to seminary afterwards, which is another like two to three year program, two to four year program mm-hmm. uh, after, after college. And so did that. Lots of stuff happened in those periods that, that was significant. Took a, a first, my first long term, longer term mission trip. It wasn't long term, but it was like six weeks, eight weeks mm-hmm. to Papua New Guinea which was just really good for me to get that cross-cultural experience. I got to do an internship at the Pentagon, uh, which sounds way cooler than it was. It's just an office building. Like It's an office building that can destroy the world, but it's just an office building. So I had I made a lot of great friends in that time. Um, and then I was getting on, I was getting on towards the end of college, or the end of seminary, um, and I was about to finish up, and I was actually speaking at a youth retreat at a, at a, a Bible college uh, on a certain weekend. This would have been spring of 2017. And I was trying to decide, do I, do I move back to Jackson, Mississippi to plant a church? Or do I move to the Philippines to help plant a church, to work at a seminary down there, and to help go into East Asia and train pastors and how to use technology to make a living? So it would have been a very cool opportunity. And it would have been a six-month thing, but it could, have, it could be a lot longer. So the first six months would be a test period and then a lot longer. So it really came down to these two things that from the age of 13 or 14, I had felt God might be leading me towards, yeah. which is do I want to go towards missions or church planting? And I don't want to do this. And I was reading a sermon by John Wesley, who I just mentioned. <laughs> and, and the sermon is, is called On the Nature of Enthusiasm, I think mm-hmm. is what it is, something like that. Uh, and enthusiasm back in those days were like what we would call like uh, Pentecostalism today, maybe. Hmm. Although it was way toned down because he's in the Church of England. They're pretty stuffy back in this time. <laughs> so they wouldn't raise hands or anything. So enthusiasm for them was just kind of this sense of like this little more freer expression, mm-hmm. which is more normal now for us in evangelicalism in America. Mm-hmm. Like almost all denominations are going to have people raising hands, even people who said like, the Holy Spirit spoke this to me. But back then you didn't have that at all. Right. And so John Wesley was was trying to trying to say, hey, you know, well, we believe we do believe that the Holy spirit can like bear witness with our spirits but we're not too free because remember they're anglicans so he's writing on this and he's talking about how does god how does god guide us and it's some of the best teaching i've ever read biblical teaching on how god guides us because he said you know it's it's not so much through emotion which is interesting because i think our generation aaron we we let ourselves be led by emotion a lot of the time and sometimes god sometimes god works through that Mm-hmm. Uh, but often we just feel something. We assume that's God mm-hmm. telling us. And that's a really dangerous place to be at yeah. if we're not careful. And so he said, well, how you actually live by God is going to God's clear teaching in the Bible. Yeah. So he goes to 1 Thessalonians, I believe it's 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. And it says, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. And he says, that right there is the will of God for your life. Clearly written in scripture. What's God's will for us? Our sanctification, <laughs> which is an easy way to understand that, right? Is us being made like Jesus, us being made holy like Jesus. Right. And so that's decent. This is this is exactly what you're supposed to be. And I thought, okay, that's that's decent. So he said, here are the two questions you ask. Any any decision you're facing, it could be about marriage. He says this. It could be about a business deal. It could be about where you're supposed to go next. Ask two questions. What's going to make me holiest, and what's going to allow me to do the most good? Mm. And in asking those two questions, you're trying to get at 
what's God's will for me? What is for sanctification? What's, what's, what does he want me to do here? He said, through asking those questions then, God can do stuff behind the scenes <laughs> to piece it all together. Right. He can, he can give you Christian wisdom from other people. He can give you special insight. The Holy Spirit can guide you. But those questions have to stay at the forefront so we don't just trick ourselves into making a decision yeah. that may not be in God's will. So I was reading this. I remember exactly where I was sitting to when I was reading this. And, and it, I, I knew immediately which decision I should do. Now, I would ask you which, which one do you think it was, but you know which one it was because yeah. I came back here. Um, but, but the reason I decided to come back here is based, based on those questions is I knew coming back here, planting a church, uh, having to be responsible for that church, building it from the ground up mm-hmm. would be more of a sanctifying experience for me. Yeah. It would also allow me to do more good. So I was going to do a lot of good stuff in the Philippines, but all that stuff still happened without me. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure it's all happening. I know that seminary is still going. I, I think the church is probably still going. Everything happened without me. But without me down here, Foundry Church wouldn't exist. Nope. So very much, and that's not like patting myself on the back. That's just saying, like I knew that at the time that this mm-hmm. was going to this was going to be necessary. Um, th- that would be the most good. So I made that decision to come back. So I moved back here four years ago, um, to fall of 2017, and um, since then I've just worked to launch Foundry and Pastor Foundry, and I'm also working at Wesley Biblical Seminary, which is where we're actually sitting right now in the yes. studio there. <laughs> Got lost uh, on my way here. <laughs> yeah, but you found it eventually. Yes, you I once were lost, you. but now you're found. So there we go. <laughs> And, and so I've been working here, and now I'm vice president of enrollment here. And so I very much see this intertwined with the Lord's call in my life for mm-hmm. this period of where I'm at. Um, I never felt called to be, like, work at a seminary. It was like, <laughs> oh, the Lord's calling me to be in enrollment. Um, but it's a great opportunity. Like, this, I've gotten to work, and our team's gotten to work with, uh, I think this fall we have, we'll have close to 500 students of different kinds here. Mm-hmm. And so these are people being equipped to go back to their churches, go back to their Sunday school classes, go back to their communities, literally around the world. We have students around the world. And, and minister better to them because of the equipping they're getting here, yeah. which is an awesome thing to be a part of. But my number one passion, and they know this here, this is not a secret, I, t- I tell my boss this all the time, <laughs> my number one passion is the church and, and serving the local church because I believe God does his best work through the local church, through making disciples, mm-hmm. through the really small, right, the small ministry yeah. of what the local church is, no matter the size, it's always people, small people ministry. Yeah. And it's it's amazing what God does there. And so that's really what I feel like He is. he's called me to and challenged me to. So just trying to walk faithfully in that, you yeah. know, the next step. And I wish I could sit back and tell you exactly where, like, in five years, this is what <laughs> life will look like. And I have no idea. Um, but the Lord has been so faithful to bring me to this point. And, you know, of course, in, in telling kind of how I got here, there's so much I skip over. Um, mm-hmm. I think I took you on, like, the the heart journey, maybe. Right. But not so much as a life journey as well, filled with, like, relationships and people and how that stuff's formed yeah. me and experiences. But I just in all that I see this 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 thread of God leading me to this point mm-hmm. um, of of establishing me here and just saying, hey, pour yourself out. It's not about the big thing; it's about the small thing. Yeah, uh, it's it's about. There's one other thing at the end of seminary, and I, guess I skipped over this, but it's been significant for me. I was I was in a chapel at seminary mm-hmm. again. So chap, good stuff happens in chapels. <laughs> and the guy was speaking. It was like my next to last, maybe my last chapel to be there. I was about to graduate, and he said, he was, and I don't even know what text he was preaching on. I can't remember, but I remember this phrase he said. He says, no one enters the kingdom of God except through someone else's suffering. Hmm. 
You said Jesus started that. Yeah. And his point was, in order for a lot of people to enter the kingdom of God, a lot of other people have to suffer. And I like the word sacrifice better because I think suffer is a little too dour. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I got to really like, like the more suffering there is, the more people enter the kingdom of God. It's not how it works. Yeah. But I, I like the idea of no one enters the kingdom of God except through someone else sacrificing. Mm-hmm. And so, again, not not to, I think every Christian sacrifices in their own way. Yeah. But but I have seen these, these last, since I heard that, so it's been four years now, these last four years to be a sacrifice of my life. And I hope the next 40 years... If I live that long, I should live that long. I'd be 68. <laughs> I think I'll live that long. Those, the next 40 years, I want to be a sacrifice of my life so that other people can enter the kingdom of God. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, I don't know what's ahead, but I know it's going to be sacrifice. It's going to be about making disciples. It's going to be about the local church in some way, about serving God wherever he has me. And it's going to be probably about doing the smaller thing because that's what the Lord's led me to, not doing the bigger yeah. thing. So <laughs> there it is. There it is. That's that's kind of my story and, and where, how the Lord's led me to where I, I am right it. now. Yeah. And I think Boundary is like a very unique church. Mm. Like, I think because of your leadership and because of like who you are and the way you serve, I think that other people see you and serve in the same kind of way. Um, Boundary to me, I see a lot of servants' hearts. Mm, That's good. And um, like, because there are more people in our small church have stepped up to serve and do things on their own. Like I've seen people like not like waiting for things to come along, like waiting for change to happen. They bring that change. They come up with these ideas and they're like, hey, I wanna do this. How do we make it happen? And then they do it. Yeah. And I love that. And I just love our church as a whole. I I, I agree with you there. It's (laughs) such a cool group of people and I appreciate you giving me some credit for that, but it's so much about the people the Lord's brought together. Oh, absolutely. And like some of those, which also is some, quite a few of those people weren't really Christians when they first became associated with us or were barely Christians. Mm-hmm. And how the, how the Lord's like pulled together both mature Christians yeah. and new Christians and people who aren't Christians to create this body of people who yeah. are now all following him. Yeah. And a great example of what you said about people stepping up is I had a few people come to me uh, not too long ago and say, hey, we really have a heart for like reaching out to people and just connecting with people and almost shepherding people, mm-hmm. uh, making sure we're taking care of their of their needs and all that. So that's a great idea. So we kind of set it up. And by set it up, I mean, I said, hey, one person, you're in charge. <laughs> and here are these other people who want to do it. So we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. And what I love is I was sitting down for dinner with a guy last night. And he's like, yeah, man, I got a call from somebody the other day or a text, he said. And she was like saying she's with this shepherding thing through Foundry and wants to like know how she can be praying for me. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's that, that thing that I know nothing about. Like somebody started and is doing. Yeah. And the really cool thing is I got a phone call the other night from a guy and he was checking in on me. He was like, hey, I'm part of Foundry Shepherding Ministry uh. here. And I just wanted to see how you're praying for you. And I was like, wait, what is this? Because to be honest, I know so many pastors and I don't think many, if any of them have have that, have like people in their church yeah. who are ministering to them. And it's, it just goes back to your point about servants' hearts. Yeah. I think there's so many people that found you're right with servants' hearts. Definitely. God's definitely been moving. Like, even whenever I first came to Foundry, I I wasn't always the person that, like, wanted to, like, serve in every mm-hmm. area. And it's kind of, I don't know, I used to see serving as a burden. Mm-hmm. And, but, like, since coming to Foundry, like, for one it was brand new and y'all needed a lot of help. And so like, I just saw a need and then I focused on that. And then afterwards, like I realized I was really enjoying it Hmm. and it was just like, I wasn't, I wasn't doing it for myself. 
um, I was like, I want to do this for other people. I want people to feel welcomed. I want them to feel like they have a home mm -hmm. because when I came there, I felt that myself. Yeah. And I wanted to keep that going because that was really precious to me. Um, and yeah, so I feel like a lot of people are really similar. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you do that so well now. I see you turning around and doing what you say you experienced when you came to other people. <laughs> and I think that's, that's the awesome thing about having a community where people feel like they belong mm. is that suddenly they want to help other people belong as well. So whatever yeah. that takes. <laughs> I'm so inspired by the story of Philip and we're kind of, I don't know, I don't know how oh, this is supposed to go. Don't worry so, about time. You're yeah, fine. Yeah. So, so we, uh, there's a story of Philip in the book of Acts <laughs> and he starts off and he's chosen as one of the seven people to be deacons, which sounds very churchy. All that <laughs> word means in the Greek is to be a servant. <laughs> so chosen to be servants, to wait on tables because there was this dispute about food distribution. This is like the most unglamorous, small <laughs> stuff. It was like gr different groups of widows, Jewish groups and a Greek-speaking group, fighting about who got enough food. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, hey, you seven dudes, you go be servants and figure this thing out. So that's, that's how we meet Philip. If you follow his progression through the book of Acts, you know, he's part of this community, he's helping out however they need him to. The next thing you see him do is he's preaching. The next mm -hmm. thing you see him do is he's going to another place and he's having a lot of converts. And by the end of the book of Acts, he's no longer Philip the servant. He's known as Philip the evangelist. Mm. Now, it's not to say he's no longer serving, right? Right. But it's interesting to see how the, God moves him from literally waiting on tables hmm. with a bunch of fighting widows. Yeah. To by the end of it, he's recognized kind of the senior church statesman, <laughs> Philip the evangelist. And he's got he's got a bunch of kids who are evangelists. or like a couple daughters who are evangelists as well. Yeah. It's or who are, who are prophetesses or whatever they were. It's like something like that. And I love to see that progression because I think that's what God wants to do in every single one of us, right? Is take mm -hmm. us from, hey, we're here. We don't like serving. Who likes <laughs> serving? To the point where you are, which is like, I'm happy to help other people yeah. feel like they belong. And I think that's what God wants for all of our lives. I, I I think we, we harm ourselves when we don't serve. Mm -hmm. I really believe that. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely find way more fulfillment like in serving. So yeah. even if even if it's something that like I'm not used to doing or maybe I'm not just enthusiastic about like I'm like, OK, if there's a need, I'm willing. And like because I mean, God can do so much if you're only willing. Yes. And so and I, I want God to do a lot through me. So just trying to be willing. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's a great perspective to have. <laughs> But yeah, so words of wisdom, advice. I mean, you've already given so much, but I'm just going to get you to share one more or two more up to you. Yeah. So, so I'm going to pull, I want to pull a couple things I've already said all together. Okay. And then I'll, I'll share one extra thing. And so what I want to pull together is you can change the world around you mm -hmm. and you must change the world around you. And how do you mm -hmm. do that? You do it by seeking the smaller things. Don't seek the spotlight. Seek the smaller things. Yeah. And people will only enter, some people will only enter the kingdom of God because you sacrifice. Mm -hmm. So sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Yeah. So the others can enter the kingdom of God. The final thing is this. The the kingdom of God needs more utility players. Mm -hmm. And I heard I had a guy, a great Christian man, who'd done all sorts of stuff. He'd been the president of a big college and done all this stuff. He said this to me one time. And a utility player is the guy on the baseball team who's not the star He's not the best at anything. In fact, he sits on the bench until there's a need and he can go into any position and play that position and do well. But he's not the best, but he can fill any position and do well. So he's a utility player. He can come in whenever. And this guy said, I see my life as being a utility player. Wherever God has a need, plug me in. Hmm. And so I think that's what I want to leave all of us with is let's be utility players. Yeah. Wherever God has us, plug us in. And sometimes that's exciting and sometimes it's big and sometimes it's cool. And sometimes... 
it's cleaning toilets or sometimes it's doing something that no one cares about. Mm. Still do it with the same passion because the king, some people only enter the kingdom of God through our sacrifice. Mm. Yeah, that's good. I like that a lot. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, this was a great time talking and getting to know who Elijah is. I hope y'all do have a better understanding of who he is and lots of words of wisdom. So y'all definitely all should have gotten something from that. (laughs) I'll be a little concerned if y'all didn't. (laughs) But anyways, talk to you guys later. Bye. See y'all later. (laughs)